All right, so today we're going to be talking about positive psychology um, and how it's really big in pop and pop psychology lately um, and how it came from the ideas of humanistic psychology, which which arose in like the 50s. Um, but positive psychology has only been uh, been a thing for like 20 years. And humanistic psychology, it was sort of, it sort of became a thing whenever some, some psychologists um, decided that Freudian psychology just wasn't cutting it um, because, because Freud was basically saying like, okay, there's, there's definitely some things from like your childhood that are going to be influencing the problems that you have um, because before humanistic psychology psychology was basically focused on what was wrong with the individual um, but then humanistic psychology uh, shifted the focus to um, your potential and sort of sort of um, present presented the idea that humans are inherently good and um you can reach something better, I guess. Today we're joined by a friend. Uh, so there'll be three of us for this podcast. But uh, positive psychology is, is a really interesting idea. I mean, all about, as you were saying, I guess, like uh, improving the self. Um, and in what ways do you want to improve yourself? And in what ways can you? First, I would say probably by... If you have some more negative things going on in your life, you might want to look at those and say, okay, how can I change those? Um, but again, this can be applied to healthy people who, who are feeling good about their life but, but still want to improve and change. Um, yeah, well, I, on, on, I think on, it's a pretty individual thing. On psychology today, it just says positive psychology examines what gives our lives meaning and purpose, how we can move beyond surviving to flourishing. Traditionally, psychology is focused on dysfunction, people with mental illness or other issues, and how to treat it. Positive psychology, in contrast, is a field that explores how ordinary people can become happier and more fulfilled, which is basically what humanistic psychology um, introduced in the 50s and 60s, and that was not really something that had been focused on in the field of psychology before then. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think uh, in some of the reading I was doing, like a lot, a word that came up frequently was uh, talking about positive psychology being about flourishing, which uh, I, I found that pretty interesting. Um, and I think it, like a, another thing that, uh, I was thinking about is like with its roots in humanistic psychology, um, just with humanism as a philosophy, it's a recognition that there is something innate that uh, isn't necessarily divine in every human, but there is something worth cultivating. And uh, that's why I like the choice of flourishing specifically. It makes me think of like algae blooming in water. 
Um, and uh, I think like even just the recognition that there's potential in something like that is a, uh, that's pretty foundational for building up like self-worth, which I think is pretty essential for self-actualization, which are two things that positive psychology deals a lot in. Today I was uh, listening to a podcast um, and it was talking about how um, in ancient Greece uh, there was the really the first cultivation of the Western identity, which deals a lot with individualization, uh, uh, but also the belief that man can man as a race can do great things and we can really um, improve upon the world and improve upon ourselves because we do have this um, innate ability to to progress, I suppose. Um, but throughout history, the ideas of that really changed because uh, you had things like medieval serfdom in which you had to kind of... Uh, most people, most low low-lying people in, in social castes were more or less slaves uh, in a way to uh, maybe the lord that they worked for. And so there was this idea, uh, an ad in religion, there was the idea that we are not worthy. We are, we are worms and we are um, basically not capable. And so you can really imagine how that might have um, affected the human psyche in, in ways uh, that, that made us... I suppose, more cynical and pessimistic, um, among other things, I suppose. Well, like self-actualization, it's, I mean, we've talked before about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how self-actualization is at the the top of the pyramid. But basically self-actualization is, okay, well, I've fulfilled all of my other needs. So now, now that I'm at the self-actualization needs, all I'm going to be doing uh, is trying to reach my full potential. And it's not this this level that you get to um, where you just like suddenly realize that, oh, well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm at the, I'm at, I'm at, yeah, I'm at my peak, so I'm just going to stop. It's basically like, like, like we were talking about flourishing. It's once you're at that top level and you've, um, you've kind of gotten the lower tiers figured out. It's like, you're not, you're not going to just stop eating. Like you, you, you don't have to think as much about those bottom tiers because it comes more natural to you now that like you've, um, you've spent time on those tiers. But then whenever you're at the top, it's you're flourishing. You don't just stop growing, but like, since you are flourishing, like you're, you're doing everything that you can to continue growing and continue to meet your full potential. And also, uh, remaining curious, trying to figure out ways in which you you can do that still. I think uh, a key would be remaining open to new mm-hmm. situations and, and things in your life because then you can figure out what you like and, and further improve yourself. Yeah, and I think um, like it's important to recognize um, – flourishing as something that's kind of multifaceted. So like in a lot of the definitions I was reading, like they would talk about it. um, Let me just take a look. Like flourishing biologically, personally, institutionally, culturally. So it's like 
that can be a that can have extremely broad implications across the spectrum of like psychological problems that humans encounter. So like like with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, there's like, oh, I need food. That's like a problem that I'm having. And positive psychology has implications with that as well as like all the way up the spectrum to like the penultimate goal, which is self-actualization. But you might also need things like emotional uh, reciprocation and social mm -hmm. dynamism in your life. But like, but before positive psychology and humanistic psychology, since the focus in psychology was was on like what was wrong with you and how to fix <clears throat> that dysfunction, now that like the the focus has been shifted more towards your potential, it's uh, it's I mean it opening the question more to um, all the things that you can be doing to feel good. I mean, no, whenever it was focused more on like dysfunction and everything, I was like, Oh, well, what did you do during childhood? Or like, what was, what was done to you to make you so depressed? And then, I mean, I, I think we've talked before on here, how my biggest problem used to be sort of accepting the fact that I was always going to feel a certain way. And so my goal should just be to be more okay with it. And recently, since I've been looking more into humanistic psychology and also like in counseling, since um, uh, my counselor uses CBT, I mean, we, I've been reframing the way I looked at things. And now I, since I've been focusing more on my, my potential, I'm not in the same, I'm not stuck in the same place that I was where I was just like, okay, well, there's my potential isn't very isn't very high so I'm just gonna have to like become okay with what I was given and I also looked at I mean like I guess Freud was the one that talked the most about like um whenever you're really young and like how much attention your your mother gives you or like your parents give you and stuff like that it affects you so much that you like whenever you're older, it um, it changes how you're able to accept love and stuff like that. Like I just I assumed that since I had like not the best childhood, I would just like always be um, less capable of accepting love and giving myself love and stuff like that. But now I'm like, okay, well, there's nothing that says that I'm not capable of feeling all the good things that I want to feel. Yeah. I think that like growth as a concept is just one of the healthiest things for the, for the brain to, to use, to view the world. And like, that's kind of uh, at the core of positive psychology is really like the focus on growth, which takes addressing problems that you have like it does that's a necessary step but the focus isn't on like the overwhelming negatives the focus is on dealing with those negatives in order uh to achieve a more positive end and i think like that that recontextualization is pretty important for being able to adhere properly to like different mindsets and healthier mindsets, particularly.
And I also think that, that the structure of positive psychology gives a little bit, um, well, it, it helps you, um, it helps you reframe it. And we were also talking about how the, the structure of positive psychology has a lot of parallels with religion. Mm-hmm. And um, what, what were you going to say about the how it has parallels with religion? Yeah. Um, so one of the... Uh, one of the the things with uh, with positive psychology is talking about um, looking at the positives of experience, relationships, uh, as well as institutions. And so, religion is really just kind of like a big mashup of experience institution and relationship. So I think, uh, the way that religion addresses those things, like, uh, it possesses some of the same qualities as positive psychology. So like it gives you, um, a degree that you like with Christianity, for example, um, I think like philosophically there are pretty serious drawbacks to um, like just being able to repent from your sins mm-hmm. and having the, that be fully absolved. But I think psychologically that's a pretty healthy outlook to have. Like, I think that's going to push you in a much more positive direction than another philosophical lens might. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about how religion sort of gives you incentives as to why you should follow that religion whether it's like an afterlife or um, follow this religion and while you're still alive you're going to feel more fulfilled you're going to be happier and I mean with positive psychology humanistic psychology it's talking about your potential it's like if you I mean it doesn't tell you what to do but it it does sort of I mean give you a uh, an outline of what things you could be doing to maybe be reaching your potential and feel more fulfilled, feel like you're, uh, you're doing things that you are supposed to be doing. I mean, it also talks about like your, your purpose. And I mean, in the book that I was listening to the pragmatist guide to life, it was talking about, they, they kept on saying your objective function and they explained it by saying, we don't use the the term purpose because calling it a purpose is insinuating that it's like something that you'll that you'll you'll be you'll meet your purpose so you'll reach it and then after that there's not much there's not much else but like if you call it an objective function then it's something that doesn't end you'll always be um, finding new ways to achieve it. Um, and with positive psychology, it does talk a lot about um, reaching your potential and what what sort of emotions and what feelings that will give you. I think uh, I think religion is an interesting one because it's um, putting uh, interest and faith into something that isn't your own and, and something that you 
consider to be greater than you. Uh, I think in many ways that's kind of like, um, I suppose, just a big example of, because you, re- you really have a devotion to that. It's a big example of just um, introducing something in your life, if it's new to you, that, you, that you're putting uh, time and, and effort into. And that's a... Uh, that can be a, a change, maybe not of environment, but of um, focus. And basically, I think when you talk about positive psychology, you know, you, you you might be working to change a lot in your life, or working to change the way that you think about different things. I mean, like I said, being open. Um, and I think changing things uh, for your mind just avoids stagnation, um, and that will mean that you're just more. Um, just more aloof, I suppose, and more uh, more interested in things rather than. Uh, I mean, earlier, earlier you were saying that, like, for a while you were feeling um, like you should just um, think things weren't changing for you, and so you kind of just accepted the way things are, uh, and that can be detrimental. Uh, I think a lot of the time it is, but I think it also can be the first step to to improving yourself because once you take charge of the situation that you're in and, and maybe just like say that like you you don't see things changing I think that's actually a point where you can more easily um, physically say to yourself like okay if things aren't going to change then then how can I think about things in a different way yeah I think that can be kind of a jumping off point for like a, a healthier and like more growth oriented outlook. I think because you take well, the, charge of things. At that yeah. Point. Well, the thing about religion is like you're putting your faith in a deity or a, or a presence. I mean, just in, in the religion in general, yeah. but in like, but in positive psychology, it's like, Hey, put your faith in yourself. Like you do have the potential to feel all these things, which is hard to do. It's not always that easy. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like whenever I was at that point, whenever I just didn't really believe that there was much else I could do to feel good, I just sort of thought that that's the way I was. I didn't really have faith in my in my ability to feel happiness. Kind of an example I might bring up is uh, with Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm obviously alcohol addiction is, is an addiction to a substance and that's pretty severe uh, so it's understandable why it's not easy to, to stop doing that but um, in the Alcoholic Anon- Anonymous manual or main book it basically illustrates that you can't do it without faith you you basically one of the main best way to do it is to become religious because you're putting faith in something. That well, you like yeah, something. I was reading that the the people who started AA, like they, they decided to put in the manual or just like, put it in the the structure of the meetings. Like, yeah, you, you need to put your faith in something larger than yourself. One of the other ways, of course, being psilocybin mushrooms. <laughs> Well, I think like, um, in like some of the other positive psychology stuff I was reading, um, I found it pretty interesting how often it popped up, like talking about institutions specifically. So I think like you can get a lot of the same benefits out of having an immense amount of faith in a religion, um, just by having faith or 
having like a personal stake or a belief in a different institution. And um, yeah, cause it's like the, the, the idea that whenever you're in AA, it's like, they're saying, Oh, you're going to have to put your faith in something larger than yourself. And like, they're probably going to be hinting at religion. I mean, they talk about God in AA, but if you're like somebody that has acknowledged that they have a problem and they go to one of these meetings and they're like, Oh, well, I don't think that I could ever be religious. Um, that would probably be slightly discouraging. You're like, mm-hmm. Oh, they're saying that I have to put my faith in, in something larger than myself. And then maybe you had always had this idea that that meant it had to be religion. I mean, what, what, what else did they say about putting your faith in an institution? I mean, like an institution could be a number of things. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of tricky because I think religions are kind of like the, fundamental philosophical institution because it's like we're we're giving you a belief system we're giving you like these actual texts that Mm -hmm. are like sent down from on high but in other institutions things like really aren't just that cut and dry but i mean i think you can get a lot out of like i mean it it depends on what you're like passionate about and what you care about. Like, I think that's essentially the, the central factor in being able to get enjoyment out of an institution is like that you actually believe in it. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think it could be like things as simple as like social, uh, social groups, like tight knit social groups, uh, I think it can, you can like centralize around a, a hobby. Uh, it could also be like a, a concept of some kind that you're really devoted to, or like you could devote yourself to, uh, like a, a governmental institution of some kind and like put your focus into saying like, I want to proliferate this thing that I see as a net good for society. Like, as much as I can. I mean, yeah, like you said, it's it's all about being passionate about something and actually caring about something because I feel like, I mean, with addiction, it's the thing that you're addicted to is sort of, I mean, I was talking to somebody else about, about substance abuse and addiction and like there's, they're, they're like, they were talking about, oh, well, I drink every evening. Does that mean I have a drinking problem? And I was like, well, it depends on if you have other things that are like driving you, because if you're going all day and you're just like, man, I can't think about anything else except for the fact that whenever I get home, I'm going to have a big glass of alcohol. You know, it's like it's consuming your thoughts. It's the only thing that you really care about. It's so it's it's a driving factor, but it can also be your crutch and your killer. Yeah, I, that's why I've also referred to substance abuse as like a spectrum because you can you can be like a very functioning uh, alcoholic. You know, you, you go... Half of humans in history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's why it is a spectrum because it's like some people that are very functioning alcoholics, they like go to work, they do good at their job, they have a family that they're maintaining and everything. Um, 
but they use alcohol as a crutch and they drink every single night. And if they go a night without drinking, then it's like the end of the world. And that's definitely something to be looked at. But then, um, I mean, I'd say the reason that a lot of people would look at that and be like, oh, they're not alcoholics is because they are functioning their, in their everyday life. But whenever some people, you know, don't have things that they're passionate about or things that they care about, then there's no way that they can live a functioning life. So they just lose everything and all that they're doing is drinking or, you know, using that substance. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, if I remember correctly, it was a, a work by Plato. Uh, but essentially, like, he laid down his thesis that, uh, like, the purest form of joy um, and just, like, the uh, the most central form of pleasure that a human can experience is just doing an activity solely for the sake of that activity. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, like if the only thing that you do for the sake of itself and get pleasure out of is a substance, substance. then like that's, yeah, I think that it gets troublesome when like, that's the only thing that you're doing only for the sake of it. And then with like with alcohol, since it's so socially accepted and like everybody drinks and everything, um, say you go to a social gathering and like you're not going to have fun at that at that thing if you're not drinking. I mean that says a lot because yeah, then it becomes less about the social gathering um, and more about the alcohol. Yeah, like at that point, you are dependent on the alcohol for a good outcome which is like, I mean, that's like dependency exacerbated is what addiction is. Like, that's what it. And some may say it's like, oh, well, they like the alcohol and the social gathering, but it's like, okay, well, try going to the social gathering and not drinking. Does it like completely change the way that yeah, you that's, enjoy that, it? That's like what's so tricky about that stuff is like you kind of have to untangle them in order to get a mm-hmm. sense of like how it's really affecting you. But Yeah, and do them separately. Like, like, like you said, like it, it's the, the pure act of doing that doing that thing are you enjoying it and like separating them can give you a more clear idea of what you're actually getting out of that but like with the social stigma around it being super accepted and then like if you're less prone to like self-examination then it's like you just never think about it and then it's like 10 years down the line it's like uh oh shit i've been drinking a six pack a day for uh for 12 years yeah dude like this past week actually like so i went so every night this weekend i was i just like happened to be drinking like i went to a party on friday drank a few beers and then the next night like i was at my mom's house and i had a few beers and then like last night i was just thinking and i was like oh well i mean i've been drinking like every night the past few days maybe i should go a few days and not drink not because i think i have a problem or anything but just to be aware of how it is affecting me because if I'm just drinking like without thinking about it just habitually then like that could lead to some problems um but if I'm being mindful of it and I go a few days and I don't drink because I want to remain aware of how it affects me and like how I feel with it and how I feel without it then I mean like that's self-awareness at its core you know 
I think, um, I mean, alcohol for many people, it's going to be in your life. It's going to be there. Uh, and it's good. You know, it feels nice most of the time. Um, but I just think, I guess the golden rule of everything in moderation, you know, should. And also, I, yeah. I respect a lot whenever people say that they don't drink. And it's just like, oh, well, I don't have a problem. I never had a problem with drinking, but like, I know what I wanted from it. And maybe it gave me that it gave me that thing that I desired at one point in time. But now the thing that alcohol gives me is just not something that I'm wanting right now. So I just don't drink. And it's like that self-awareness that I really respect in people. They like, they know what they want out of something. And if it's giving it to them, then they do it. Um, And if they realize that it isn't giving them that thing anymore, then they just don't. Yeah, I've definitely kind of like gone through that and experienced that with smoking weed where Mm -hmm. like it got to the point where it's like I was just smoking weed for the sake of smoking weed, but I wasn't getting any of the joy or pleasure out of it. And so I was like, well, now I'm just kind of doing this like pointless self-flagellation. Mm-hmm. Like I don't really, I'm not getting anything out of this. Like it's not worth it for me anymore. Yeah, I mean like whenever I was like 16, 17 and I first started smoking, I was like, oh, okay. I've gone my entire life sober up until this point. And wasn't really enjoying it. So now doing this drug makes me feel good. This is cool. I'm going to start doing it frequently. And then whenever you start doing it every day, it's going to become habitual. And like, say you do it every day for a month, you'll go one day and it'll be like, dude, this is weird. I'm going a day without smoking. Like it, like in your everyday activities, it's a weird lapse. If you go a day without smoking, Uh, especially because like, people who smoke usually hang out with people that smoke as well and becomes Mm -hmm. a social thing. But, and then if you stop smoking, it's going to mess with your neurotransmitters because they're used to getting that weed every day and it's reliant on it. Yeah. One of the things I've, uh, I've noticed about like when I, when I'm smoking weed and I do get enjoyment out of it that like, I think, is worthwhile for me. I've noticed recently that um, it's kind of like, like when you're using it, the the colors are extra saturated, but it's it's almost like it pulls the extra color out of when you're sober. So like, I noticed mm. that um, it's like okay, yeah, these experiences that I'm having are like worthwhile and enjoyable. Um, and are like having an overall positive effect on me. But then I also noticed that it's like the time in between kind of like loses more and more of its like luster and more and more of its appeal. I mean, like for, for years, I sort of thought about how it was a crutch for me and like it was something that I was dependent on and there was times whenever I wanted to stop because of that reason, but it wasn't until... I realized that like it was it was really um, allowing me to avoid my problems and I wasn't really ever present whenever I wasn't high. Um, and I was just like trying to 
you know, get better with my dissociation and everything. I was like, okay, you know, whenever I'm high, I'm super foggy and not really experiencing the experiencing the moment anyway. But then like, even when I'm not, I'm still like really foggy because of the weed. And then that's why I stopped. And then whenever you're able to, I guess, realize that it's not giving you what you want anymore, and then you stop, and then you examine what changes after you do stop, it's really liberating, I would say. Mm -hmm. Because whenever you have a crutch and, like, it's not just habitual anymore. It's like you know that you're dependent on it, and that's why you're not stopping. Like being able to just like be determined enough and be aware of what you're wanting, being able to stop that thing that you did for so long, um, and then realizing that it was a good decision, that, I mean, it makes you feel good about the fact that you did it but then it also like makes you feel confident in your ability to self-actualize that yeah i think uh, it's also um like it it's it's really eye-opening when you do that because like you you're, you're comparing and contrasting two perspectives that are both your perspective and in that comparison you kind of are able to reveal more about your underlying perspective than you would otherwise, like by analyzing what your experience was when you were using drugs versus when you aren't, um, you like, you learn more about yourself and how you deal with problems like that are not related to that even like, then it starts making you think about like other issues you're facing and how kind of those same traps that you can fall into because of your perspective and your various pathological issues. Um, and you're able to recognize things easier. And I think like that recognition is pretty important for self-actualization, like being able to see yourself for what you are and like see where you're being inaccurate or unfair to yourself. Exactly. Did what we talking about oneness the other day and how like, yeah, if if you're, if you're high sometimes and you're not high sometimes it's like whenever you are high, I mean, you, you're not going to be like completely different, but like your cognition is impaired. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I guess the only way to really achieve oneness is like be in the same state or I I, I guess have the same mindset at all times. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're not always going to have the same mindset. Yeah. That's why, that's why I was like, it's, it's hard to begin because yeah, you have good days and you have bad days, but like whenever you're like actually impairing your cognitive abilities by by getting high then i mean that's a huge bump in the road of trying to be i was going to improve my life but then i got high <laughs> no i mean i think like there's a lot of uh everybody has rough situations in their life uh and if 
if you take the time to to analyze those after they've happened most uh, most often then you're able to see okay how was i thinking when that was happening how did it affect me and what have i learned from the situation um yeah, i mean I, and i realized at at one point or another that since i was smoking like i just didn't really care about as much i wasn't aware of what was going around like going on around me and within me and i was just like okay well i don't really like that i i, I don't know if i ever liked it but it wasn't as important to me i was just like you know smoking is something that i enjoy and it's helping me in these certain ways it's helping me be less anxious and i was just like it's something that i want to be doing but then whenever i reached a certain point i was like it's not really giving me those good things anymore and it's preventing me from getting these things that i desire now because also like the thing about self-actualization and um, positive psychology, it, it focuses on what you want at the, at the time and focusing on the present moment. It's also about like mindfulness. It's not, I guess it, it acknowledges that what you desired six months ago isn't always going to be what you desire now. And you should always be checking in with yourself and being mindful and whatever you desire at that moment is what you should be trying to get, trying to achieve. I think uh, I think the phrase checking in with yourself is, is a good one because it's, I think, uh, pretty often that we don't actually sit down and kind of, uh, I mean, air quotes, talk to yourself. Like... Um, hey, buddy. Yeah, hey, buddy. You know, and, and, <laughs> and stuff like... Uh, <laughs> Just, 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 just going through the, the motions in your head. Like, how did I feel about that? How does it make me feel? Do I want to change this thing in my life? Um, yeah, and am I think I using this negatively. And I think we've worked a lot of that into our episodes thus far in the podcast because it's been something really important to us lately. Being you know, more mindful and having that inner dialogue. That kind of thinking might be uncomfortable um, for some people or or anybody some of the time because it can remove you from your situation i think you could uh tie that in with some feelings of disassociation you know maybe if when you start to have these feelings of questioning yourself but it doesn't have to be negative then it can make can make you feel removed from from who you are and and maybe that stagnation that you were living in but it's that next step in trying to or not trying to change things right away maybe but just being open to like well, things don't have to be this way, you know. Well, man, I, since I was, like, high all the time for years, I mean, I realized that it, at one point or another, it was something that I really did enjoy, but then it became this thing that I was like, okay, well, if I smoke a lot and I'm just really stoned, my, like, negative thoughts aren't going to be as loud to me or noticeable because I'm just going to kind of feel, like, really... Uh, I mean, what's the word for that? You just you your your thoughts are more quiet, and you're like I think your senses are dull. Yeah, like detached. Yeah, you, like you are intentionally becoming more detached because I didn't want to like hear myself think those things, and then it. I mean, I just became so dissociated that I wasn't really paying attention to the things that I wanted, things that I desired, because I wasn't really having those desires at all. I was just so dissociated. Yeah, I think um, it's kind of interesting for me because, like, I activate that kind of, like, self-examination, self-analytical 
side of my brain like all the fucking time. Like that's kind of how I'm at most of the time. And I think that's kind of, uh, I think that's part of like why I am able to like, that's, that's part of the enjoyment that I get out of weed is because like that kind of self-examination can be detaching and like lead to dissociation inherently when you do it to that extent, like the way I do it, where it's just like going around for hours on end. Um, and I think like, that's part of why I enjoyed weed so much is because it was like a different way of experiencing the world that I hadn't lived before, because it's like, you don't have to be up in your own head, like with a magnifying glass, looking at like every atom of your life and stuff, you can just like be present and enjoy things. And I think like, that there's a, like there's a, there's a balance to everything. Yeah, exactly. Know? And like, I've definitely there was like a point where it was like, okay, well now I'm not getting the enjoyment out of it that I once did. And yeah, this is like making me dissociate more. And that's the point where it becomes like, well, I don't really want to do this anymore. Yeah. And a lot of people look at like the whole in moderation thing with substances and they're like, Oh, well what the fuck does that mean? Like who's telling me how much of what to, to consume, like who moderates that? And it's like, you know, if you're self-aware enough of what you're wanting and what certain things give you, then you like won't have that much trouble moderating what you consume and like how much of what you do. Like how many hours a week do I want to work? Well, how much money do I want to be making? And like, what's the opportunity cost? Whenever I'm working this many hours a week, what else, what am I missing out on? It's like, what do you want from life? And that, I think the past few months I've just been questioning more like what's important to me and you know like what what does that say about what I want yeah and I think like that's kind of the the danger of substances is because like if you are able to self-regulate because you have an understanding of what your desires are and what your goals are and what you want to grow towards then that is like a, a really solid foundation to root yourself in so that you don't have to worry as much about uh, moderating. But if you don't have that, then it can kind of like, I think about like uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark when he does the switch with the idol for the sand. And it's like, you're putting the sand back there to like satisfy this trap or whatever, but it's like, that's, that's not the actual idol. Like it's not going to work. You're still going to reap the, the consequences for it. Uh, and I think it also like the, the really tricky thing is that it compounds on itself because I think when you're like using a lot of substances, like habitually using them, that makes it harder and harder for you to like pay attention and really discern what it is you want out of life. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's much harder to think about things on those terms when you're just like baked as shit all the time. And I think positive psychology, like like we were talking about how it sort of gives you a, a, like a framework or sort of a structure to, to start doing some of these things. Like, like, I mean, a lot of people don't really think of, about checking in with themselves and stuff like that. Positive psychology, I mean, I guess you could call it this new movement within the past 20 or so years, um, people hear about positive psychology and they're like, Hmm, that's cool. 
And then they look into it and it introduces these ideas. So I think that's why something like that is just so important, like getting it into into the minds of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And whenever you're an AA, like we were talking about how it says you need to put your faith into something larger than yourself, positive psychology and humanistic psychology, it's like it's making people believe that there's more to themselves because it's like putting putting your faith in something larger than yourself is like what's larger than yourself dude nothing boom in the famous show roots uh maybe you've heard of it when the main character kunta kinte is born his father takes him as a baby into his hands and he walks him out into the field at night and he holds him up to the the sky of stars, and he says, Behold, Kunta Kinte, the only thing greater than yourself. And so really, I think, if you think about the ability and capacity of the human individual to to uh, tackle things, you know, I think uh, small steps are key. You know, you, you ask questions like, what do I want to do with my life? And it's like, man, like, who, who knows what they want to do with their life, especially when you're a young guy, you know? Um, but small steps are key. Like, like, you know, like I've been saying like, uh, oh, okay, well, I, I like to do this new thing that I never tried before, but I don't like that thing so much. And that helps you shape and form your identity. Yeah. I think like just the, like getting positive psychology out there and kind of like incepting minds. It, I think like part of why it's, uh, so effective and so important is cause like just something as simple as looking at your life and being like, okay, am I growing? Like in any context, like that sets you down the, like that sets off the behavioral Rube Goldberg that gets you to looking at your life and examining what you like about it, what you don't like about it, what you want to change. And like, that's what sets you down on the path. Cause I mean, if you're, if you're asking yourselves these questions and you don't know where to look at all, I mean, there's such large questions like, who am I? What do I want with, what do I want to do with my life? Like, what do I value? If you don't have any sort of framework or like any place to start looking, it's going to overwhelm you. And that's like, I mean, we talked about how, I mean, we were both like really young whenever we started thinking about like existence. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I think I was just like so confused and lost for so long during my childhood because like, Whenever you're that young, like, how are you supposed to even comprehend questions that large? <laughs> yeah, like, um, especially because you, you're so young, you don't really have the cognitive abilities to comprehend something that large. Like, I would start thinking about existence, and then I would go down these wormholes, and then I would come out on the other side, and, like, my head would hurt, because I'd be like, that makes no sense. My family believes that God put us here, but how could that be possible? Like, why am I here yeah. right now? And then I would, I would just like get really scared. And like, I, yeah, I think that's I, why uh, I was such an anxious child. And you said you were a very anxious totally, totally. child as well. Yeah. Like I, I've been thinking a lot recently about like, you know, just the follies of the way you think when you're younger, like in middle school, I would sit up at night And not just at night, like just throughout the day, all the time, I would be thinking like, okay, I have one purpose 
what what is my purpose like there must be some one single thing that is the whole reason for me being born and is like the whole point of my entire life so i have to figure out what that is and it's like trying to narrow down like the ultimate broad experience that is a human life like just the amount of depth in human life is incomprehensible and trying to like attempting to boil that down into one single thing, like one word, one phrase for to be like the, the foundation for my existence. And it's like, you, you just can't do that. Like that's not something anybody can sit down and just like wrestle with and be like, ah, you know what it is? Bowling. That's my <laughs> purpose. That's it. I figured it out, dude. Well, I mean, like, doesn't, isn't the whole point to like existentialism, like free will, um, the, the matter of choice and it sort of simplifies your existence. Yeah. Cause like I, I totally understood that purpose to be preordained. Like it, the way I thought about it, it was not like, Oh, what's the thing I'm going to choose to be my singular purpose because of mm-hmm. what I like and who I am. It was like what externally has been put in front of me for me to and take. I, and I think my problems that I've, that I've had with Christianity, especially growing up in the Christian church was like all of the <clears throat> problems that I was experiencing. Like, I, yeah, I, I can definitely relate to, uh, being told, well, I, I mean, I don't know if you were specifically told that it was like this preordained thing, but like for me, it's like, hey, God has a plan for you, and this—that's what you're going to be. That's what you're supposed to be. And I was just like, well, what is it? And then, and I mean, now I'm like, okay, well, you—you you are put in the situation that you're born into, like with your family and everything. But like everything else is like you're choosing to behave in the way that you do you're choosing to make the choices that you do and i was like well i don't want to do the thing that god doesn't want me to do like come on Mm -hmm. and then also like i don't know i mean i I, everything that like they taught us in church i was just like i either don't relate to that or like it seems kind of fucked up yeah that's the thing with like because I think there are elements of positive psychology active in religion, but um, it's not literally positive psychology. So there are like shortfalls and um, like one of the, as you were saying that I was thinking about how, like when I would go to Sunday school and stuff, they would talk about how everybody has a gift from God. It's like, it doesn't matter who you are. God gave you some gift. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, well, now i got to figure out what this gift is. And I think it can be really, like, troublesome. Because I think for me, it was like, oh, i got to look for this gift. But I don't know what this gift is, and I can't find it. And then it's like, that leads you down a a very, like, dark self-worth place. Because it's like, well, did God even give me a gift? Like, yeah, dude, what like is my gift? I don't, I don't have a gift. I mean, the the past couple of years. I mean, we've had our group of friends and everything, but before that, I mean, the only friend group that I had growing up, like, I guess we had some good times, but they were all like really shitty to me. And then, I mean, not only were they like just sort of rude, um, 
but they were all like really good at sports. And I was like, oh, well, they've got their whole sports thing. They're really fast. They're really good at it. Uh, and I'm not as good as them. Oh, but then in school, like they get better grades than me and they're like really smart. Oh, and they're also like better looking. So they get the girls and I don't like, I was just like, okay, well, yeah, what's my thing? What's my thing? What, why, what I, what can I be good at? Oh, but that's not really fair. They're good at all those things. And yeah, it just, whenever you can't find that thing that like you're, that you have as a gift or like you can't find that thing that you love doing, it does just make you feel really confused and like feel bad about yourself. Yeah, I think it, it like it's especially bad because like the way our society values things is on those terms. So at the same time that you're struggling with like, well, what's what's my purpose in this? Like, what's my gift? Like society is kind of shoving in your face images and stories of people who were tremendously gifted and talented and it's like yep they they pulled this thing off that you can't seem to pull off and aren't they great and it's like well yeah they sure are great and i'm not like them so what does that say about me mm. but it's all about the hidden masses that drive the machine and that person who did great wouldn't have been able to do that if it wasn't for a thousand other people doing some menial tasks mm-hmm you know, and earlier you were talking about, uh, like, uh, for instance, like, okay, how many hours do I want to work this week? You know, and I think being realistic with something like that, there's a lot of people who don't have that option to think about because they must work this many hours to to make this amount of money. And so they might not have a lot of time to to, uh, to really be looking at their life and asking a lot of, of questions if they are in a system that is... But they're asking that they're asking that question like how many hours do I need to work and maybe their amount of hours that they need to work to survive is much more than you, but they can still make the decision to not work and die, or they can work and save money and move on from from the situation yeah, like, they're not enjoying. Some people are in like much worse situations financially and like they're just they are dealt with worse circumstances but i'm like i guess i was just stressing that like everything that you do is a choice it's just like your circumstances could be yeah like sometimes there's a choice between shit and shit Mm -hmm. and like for me it's like my circumstances aren't that bad so it's like do i want to work 30 hours a week or 40 hours a week some people are like hey do i want to work 80 hours a week this week or like fucking kill myself it's like so minor my circumstances are a little a little bit better but i was just yeah i guess i was just saying that you you're i mean if it's something as simple as working 40 hours a week or 30 hours a week it's just like okay well if i have 10 more hours to myself this week then i could do this and i want to do this because that makes me feel this way and i like feeling that way yeah i think like it, it plays in a lot to kind of like what we were talking about earlier with what you're valuing and like what you're hoping to get out of certain things. So like if you're working like a mi- slaving away at a minimum wage job and like barely getting by, that's like, that's a pretty tricky situation to uh, move to something that you do value from. Like that's not an easy thing to do. But it is possible, and like, 
it, it is realistic that you might get to a point and be like, okay, this job is like sucking the life out of me. It's not making my life worth living at this point. And like you can seek some sort of alternative that you can use to build off of, uh, to, to get to a place that's more in line with your values and what you're hoping to get out of life. Yeah. And like, it's, it's really common for somebody to be working a job that they like, don't absolutely hate. They're like, Oh, you know, I mean, I don't really have any other alternatives that seem better. I don't like it, but I don't know what else, what else I would do. I mean, for years working just like as a cashier, I was like, you know, I'm not enjoying this. Most days I come home and I'm like, dude, I just wasted my entire day. But I was like, eh, it's it's a good solid job. It's bringing in money and like I have some friends there. So uh, I don't hate it enough to quit. But it's like, what, at what point would I have quit? Like what would have had to have happened for me to quit my job? And then, it, yeah, it's just like, how we were talking about earlier, um, how I just reached a point where I didn't think that there was much better than what I was experiencing. It's like my job wasn't awful. I didn't like it at all, really. But I just like, I guess, grown to be okay with it. And with positive psychology, it's just like, I mean, you should be flourishing, not just like being all right and fucking... But the main question is, how can you flourish? It's a very individual thing. Yeah, like, I think it's it's definitely worth acknowledging that it's totally possible to flourish while you're working a job that you don't necessarily care for, I think. Like, I think you can work, like, a 9-to-5 cubicle office job, and as long as it's not, like, unbearable, I think you can still get those kind of, like, higher function, higher experiences could fulfilled that, could in that like be considered, other aspects of, of life. Could that be considered flourishing though? Like as a whole, like would you be flourishing in life if you were working a job that you didn't? Yeah, like, I think that's, you, that's kind of why I view it as like up to the individual. Cause I like it, it would depend on how, if that job is like soul crushing or if it's just like, Oh, well it's, not unpleasant and it frees me up to do these other things that I really care about. Um, but yeah, I think like it's important to think about that distinction as you're living your life, because like whether or not you're thinking about it, you are making a choice about, uh, what you're valuing based on how you're living. Yeah, I mean, it's like a job like that where you're making steady money might give you other time because maybe you're like, okay, I, I do dislike this job and I don't want to be doing it. But maybe for some period of time when you're making that income, then with the hours that you do have free, then you start working on that hobby more and more and you're like, okay, I'm going to try and pursue this on the side if not leap for it and see if this can support me now uh, and things like that. Um, can help you out and, and, and flourishing can come later, but it all takes the first initial thought. Well, I mean, there was one time whenever I was in counseling and I had just like, I had just started my new position at work and they were giving me like really whack hours. I was working in the evenings. So 
in the mornings, I would usually just kind of, like, wait around to go to work because I was like, oh, I work later. There's not much I can be. I think there's only 15 seconds yeah. left. I'm just going to start another one, and then we can finish the thought. No, dude, like, <laughs> we're done. <laughs> <laughs> we're but, toast, man! <laughs> so, I mean, um, so, like, since I was working in the evening, I would just spend the morning, like, the time before going into work just like gearing myself up to go to work and I wasn't really doing much. And then since I would work the evening, I would get home like late at night and it would just be kind of too late to do anything. So I went into counseling and I was like, yeah, so I'm just like always at work. I don't have like any time to do anything else. And he was just like, all right, let me get out my calculator. How many hours a week do you work? And I was like, what is this guy doing? What is he, what are you trying to do with this calculator? I'm like a fucking nerd. And then he was just like, okay, say you work 40 hours a week. Um, and he like, he did like 24 times seven. Oh, okay. This is so like, minus 40. So you got that one. How much time do you spend a week sleeping? I was like, well, I sleep like eight hours a night, I guess. He's like, okay, eight times seven. And he, and then he like, he went through all that, like <laughs> sleeping. Um, Traffic. yeah, going, going to work and then like commute time and everything. He's like, okay, so you still have this many hours to do whatever you want to do, like spend your time however you please. And I was just like, um, oh, okay. I, I mean, I guess I just kind of waste a lot of time thinking about other things or like gearing myself up to do something else. Yeah. I think like, I, I relate to that super hard, but I think that's part of why it's like you were kind of questioning whether you could flourish in kind of a menial job. And mm-hmm. I think like, that's a lot of the struggle is that like some jobs can be so menial that like when you're not at work, all you're thinking about is that you're going to have to be at work soon. And like mm-hmm. that brings you down. And I think like if you're, if you're living things that way, then yeah, I think like it, it's probably not super feasible to flourish in that kind of environment. And I spent years living that way. Um, but then recently, I mean, I'd say it was like, yeah, I got a new position at work, but like even after I got the new position at work, I was still thinking that way and then like it wasn't until I reframed the way I was looking at all my free time until I like started living differently and I was like doing more fulfilling things whenever I wasn't at work even if I had to work later in the day like now if I if I work in the afternoon like I'll wake up go to the gym while I'm at the gym I'll be listening to podcasts or audiobooks or whatever I'll come home um and then, like, I'll, um, if I still have, like, an hour before I have to go to work and I, I've already gotten home from the gym and showered and everything, I'm like, okay, well, I have an hour before I have to go into work. Like, what can I eat for lunch before I go in that's going to be, like, really satisfying? And I've started to, like, make more of a deal out of what I'm going to eat. Because before I was like, okay, well, I can just eat something that's around and I guess I need to eat, but it doesn't have to be, like, something that I would enjoy. I'll just eat it. Hopefully the cheapest thing. But now I'm like, okay, well, let's make an experience out of this. Like, let's eat something that I know that I'm going to enjoy um, that, that, that I know that's going to give me a good experience. Um, and, yeah, no, the whole thing about flourishing and, like, reaching your potential or whatever, it's like if you think that something's going to give you an experience that you're going to enjoy – like just like try to make the most out of it and try to 
acknowledge the experience as much as you can. And that's been my thing. Because, yeah, like whenever I was just, like, spending my entire morning before I went into work just thinking about, oh, I have to work later, like, you're not trying to do anything that you're going to enjoy because all you're thinking about is how you have to go into work later. So it's just being, like, intentional with your time. At the same time, if you're not doing much, if you don't have a job, you don't go to school, then you'll be like, man, I don't do anything with my time. I'm really bored. So sometimes it's good to find a, a structure, even if uh, it's not exactly extremely fulfilling. Like I was saying earlier, it can kind of give you the time to... It can give you time to look at the other time that you have and be like, okay, what can I do with this? Well, yeah, like, and I was I was living like that for years whenever I just kind of, like, didn't feel like I had any time to do anything. But honestly, on the other hand, like, if I didn't have a job, I'd be so fucking depressed. I don't know, like, just, like, having a job these past few years has just, like, given me that structure that I needed and that, like, sense of purpose. Even if it's, like, I'm not really, like, changing anybody's life or, like, doing something that important but at the same time it's just like it working a job does give you a sense of purpose yeah i think uh for me like i don't relate to that personally but i do relate to that through like not having a job but with school like since i've left school i've definitely um like it's been pretty eye-opening for me to like really acknowledge like what an important role it's kind of played in my life um Mm -hmm. and also like because like i mean i only recently graduated high school so for for essentially the entirety of my conscious life i was in school so you don't learn what life is like outside of school but now that i do have a sense of that i'm like oh shit uh i need school i I need to go to, to school like that's and do you think it there was, it was anything specific about about school or like just the fact that you were like there was something that you felt like you should be doing and you went and like that was it you didn't um i think it's it's kind of specific to school for me because i like really have a view of school as kind of like a it's almost like a like a self betterment self actualization temple where it's like we're yeah, I would we're agree. taking you to this place and the whole learning. goal of this place is for you to learn and grow and become a better person. And so like I really have like a kind of an idealistic view of that because so mm-hmm. often that's like the opposite of how the world actually acts. Uh and then agree. also like we've talked before about how like just being in a place where you find things interesting and like you view the world as interesting can be like really alleviating. And I, that's definitely the case for me, uh, like more so than others, I would say. Um, and so like having a place where it's just dedicated to like looking at interesting things and, um, also channeling that into ideally making the world a better place like that's a pretty pretty cool thing and it's like there's been points whenever i was like oh this assignment is really stressing me out or i don't like this specific class maybe i should just like 
not go to school. And like the idea like always pops into my head if I'm just like having a really bad time with school. But then I'm like, no, I'm not going to take any time off of school. Like, I, I, I mean, I took one semester off because I graduated early. But since I went the fall of my freshman year, like I haven't taken a semester off. And like, I'm not going to because I just, I know that school brings me positive experiences. Yeah. And like, because I grew up in school and that was all I knew, like for most of my time in school, I didn't like it because like I just the way I thought about it, the way I experienced it uh, wasn't the same as it is now, especially having like been taken out of that environment and like seeing the way I live my life differently outside of school. Like I think that's been pretty important to me recognizing it. Um, But then I think also I did achieve it to some degree before I left school, like at the end of my school career, basically, where um, things kind of like fell into place where they were pretty in line with my values. And like, I found everything super interesting. And also like a lot of the annoying parts of school had kind of like faded into not being as much of a problem as I like had gotten older. And so like, you just have to deal with less BS and stuff. Yeah. And then like, then it goes into the question of just like, is there less BS or am I just like more self-aware and like better yeah. at dealing with the BS that exactly. like is still present, you know? I think school gives you purpose. It really makes you feel like, like an individual, but you'll probably have uh, your friends and groups there, but you feel like, especially when you're younger, you know, you just feel like uh, you're taking charge of, uh, of your own situation. Yeah. I think about that a lot in re- relation to work. Because, like, at work, I mean, I don't, like, I don't really care about the success of the company at the end of the day. Like, I care what? about... Uh, Man, this guy's fucking fired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you that, dude. Yeah, but then with with school, I think that, that aspect of it also, like, is really nice that it's, like, the only person you're failing by like not taking school seriously is yourself. So it's like, if you're cool with that, then cool. You're not hurting anybody because you're okay with that and you're stepping away to do something else. But like with a job, um, it's like, Oh, if I, if I don't give a shit about my job, then it's going to hurt other employees. And so I think like I kind of, uh, (laughs) I miss being able to like, blow stuff off because like the consequences are only on me if I blow stuff off. But it's like, man, I have to care about other people's feelings, man. Well, like uh, with like college specifically, I like the concept of like, you know, your, your everyday classes, you're going to go and you're going to be learning things and you're going to have more knowledge from learning that thing. But then also like in the larger, uh, larger picture, uh, you're, you're going to school for, however many years for us, like a, probably for a more specific reason. Like some people just want to get their education. So like they go to college and it's not because their career like requires co- a college education. But, but like for me, at least it's like, I, for one, I want to go to school because I like learning. I think getting an education will like, will be in line with my, with uh, what I value but then also like the career that I want 
also requires a lot of education. So it's just like a double whammy, you know. When more people go to college now uh, than any other time in history. Um, and just like you said, a lot of like, it's the classic, like, you got to probably have a degree to get this job. You got to have experience to get a job. You can't experience it without a job. And we live in this kind of convoluted time. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, no. you're like uh, can I just it's like a revolving be door. a potato farmer? <laughs> like, nope. Yeah, and it's just like, I mean, I feel like especially at this time in the U.S., it's like you're brought up with this notion that you need to go to college to get a good job. And I like whenever people, you know, bring that into question. They're like, hey, you don't need to go to college to get a good job. And then, I mean, I love having that conversation because it's like it really um, makes me question my values because sometimes like whenever I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to college. Most of my friends are going to college. So, like, I sort of get caught up in that idea that we're fed growing up. I'm like, oh, yeah, you need to go to college. But then somebody's like, oh, well, no, you don't need to go to college to get a good job. And then I'm like, wait, yeah, I, I don't, I, I do believe that you don't mm-hmm. need to go to college to get a good job. And then I like having that conversation with people because it brings my values back into question. And I'm like, okay, well, what are the variables in play here? Like what says that you do need to go to college to get a good job? And it's just like, okay, well, it all depends about, it all depends on what you want to do. Does your career require a college education do the things that you value like do you value a do you value like specific types of knowledge do you value um the i mean like you were saying like the the structure of going to school every day and do you love your country do you love uncle sam (laughs) (laughs) If you don't love Uncle Sam, then don't go to college, Buster. Well, it's like it's it's so laughable because honestly, like the way that we're brought up, going in going to school, it's just like, uh, yeah, you're going to college. What are you talking about? Yeah, like I remember having conversations with my parents where it would be like, well, why why do you want to go to college, David? And it's like, well, because to uh, to get a job i have to go to college because if i if i don't go to college i can't get a job and then i'm gonna be homeless like like in, in school they they honestly talk about going to college like it's this thing that like you need to do like yeah them. although i think like um that's why it's important to recognize that like it can be a really positive thing but it's not necessarily something you need to do because i think part of why it's such like a cultural bastion for us is because college particularly is like a time where you're figuring stuff out. So it's like, okay, I'm going to go to this place. I don't really know what's going to come of it. I don't know how I'm going to change. I don't know like what's, what's going to happen, but I'm just going to go here and like, see how things go. And that kind of like sets, sets you off on your, on your journey. But I think for a lot of people, they, to a certain extent, have a pretty good idea of what they're looking for. Because it's like some people are like, oh, I don't want to go to college because I don't know what I want to do and I don't want to spend all this money on a degree that I'm not going to use. It's just like, Mm -hmm. dude, I'm going to major in philosophy and then I'm going to figure out that I want to be an accountant. 
like, and then I'll have to go back to school. And it's just like, I mean, for me, I think I've, I've see myself as like, um, pretty fortunate to have had like a pretty good idea of like, at least not exactly what I wanted to do, but a general idea of what field I wanted to go in Mm -hmm. into whenever I was starting college. And that's like pretty fortunate because some people are like, you know, 18, 19 and they're like, I have no idea what I'm into or like what I want to be in in life and everything. It's just like, okay, well then maybe you should take some more time to sort of question that before you start school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think there are also a lot of people who I, uh, who are like less interested in, um, kind of like the, like the academic side of it and it's like if you think that you can or if you know yourself well enough that you're not going to find fulfillment in pursuit of those tasks Mm -hmm. but you do know that like you have uh another thing that you're interested in that you could put time into with another job then like you could go to like a trade school and learn like a skill that can get you a high paying career that even if it might not like the career itself might not fulfill you. Um, And having, having more than one incentive is really good because like for me, like since I not only want to go to school for the career that I'm going to eventually have, but I also want to go to school just because I value uh, learning new things. And I like, I want to have an education no matter what, like I feel pretty good about me going to school because I know that even if I completely changed my career and like what I wanted to do, um, for a living when I'm, whenever I'm older, like I still don't think I would regret going to school because I value it for more than one reason. It's not just to like, to get the job that I'm wanting right now. Yeah. And like, Again, on the flip side, like if you were in school and you were like, I don't agree with any of this, this doesn't feel applicable to my life in any way, like this is really bringing me down, then you could probably get a lot much more out of a different kind of experience, one that's less kind of uh, pushed on by like societal expectations. Yeah, and if you're looking at like the things that you want – um, like it more of like a, at, at its core, like what you, what you want and what you value and everything. It's just like, Oh, well, I want to go to school because I want to be smart. I want to accumulate more knowledge. It's just like, dude, go to your local library. You know, <laughs> you don't need to fucking pay for school. Your most powerful tool is a library card. brother. <laughs> Which, and I mean, that's, it's, and that's why it's so valuable to be self-aware and like, just really question those things. Like, question what you value, what you're wanting, and then like what you think you're going to get out of the things that you're doing. Is it just like pure entertainment? Um, are you going to be gaining something from it? Whenever you are like actually, actually aware of those things, like, you know, whatever curveballs life's going to throw at you, you're going to be able to maneuver it, you know? Just training yourself to dodge, dude. Sometimes... You're able to dodge it. Sometimes I just screw in the fucking forehead. 
and you're like, shit. But then you wake up in the hospital and you, you learn to live in your day. And that's why I'm dedicating my life to positive psychology, brothers. Amen. Yeah, I mean, we kind of like went off on this total tangent there at the end, but I think it was valuable and I enjoyed it. And if our listeners didn't like it, go fuck yourself. Uh, well, don't, you know, I mean, do that if you, if you want to. But. Yeah, because you got to really look at like what you value and like if you don't, think that fucking yourself is going to give you enjoyment or like, you know, it's not going to be a step towards what you want in the future, then don't fuck yourself. Well, masturbation, you know, for taking it in that sense, can really <laughs> be a tool to release stress uh, and just like chill out, you know, it can really be something that is natural um, and almost needed sometimes by the body. So like, what do you think was more valuable, the discovery of masturbation or the, the, the discovery of like fucking um, farming? The agricultural revolution. I mean, I would prefer to jerk off than like eat corn. Well, I think there's your answer. Or any crop. I would, I'm a, I'm a meat eater personally. I don't really need farming. I just eat a lot of cat. Okay. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Positive psychology, dude. Um, you have more potential than what your English teacher in second grade told you. That's what I'm saying. That's the gist. Laters. <laughs>